Welcome to Punditocracy, Lawrence.com's politics and culture podcast. I'm Gavin, and this week's guest is Congresswoman Nancy Boyda. When last we spoke with Nancy, she was waging a quixotic campaign to represent Kansas's 2nd Congressional District, including Lawrence, as a grassroots Democrat in a blood-red state. In one of the biggest upsets during last November's upset-rich elections, Boyda managed to unseat entrenched Republican Congressman Jim Ryan and garner national attention for our sleepy little district. She's been assigned chairs on the powerful House Armed Services and Agriculture Committees and, along with this heightened profile, is already being targeted for a political reprisal by the Republican Party in 2008. Representative Boyda, fresh off of her vote to try and overturn President Bush's veto of the Iraq Supplemental Funding Bill, took some time out of her busy schedule to give us a follow-up report on her new gig in Washington. Congresswoman Nancy Boyda, representing Kansas's 2nd District, including Lawrence. Thank you very much for joining us here at Lawrence.com. Thank you, Gavin. What is the next step, do you think, so far as... A funding bill. Do you prefer a quote-unquote clean bill, or do you prefer something that has timetables and other benchmarks? Um, first of all, what do I think is going to happen? I really yeah. don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think there's going to be something come out of the Senate, something come out of the House, and so um, I'm not quite sure where it's going to go from here. Are you actually kind of perversely flattered that you're perhaps the number one target of the National <laughs> Republican Congressional Campaign. No, I'm not perversely flattered. <laughs> Come on, they consider you a threat. You know, they're coming yeah. after you at full bore. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> it's um, it's what, what I really try to do is just keep my head down, do my job, um, and concentrate on... I'm loving, really loving the actual job of being in Congress and seeing what we can do to make a difference. And we, I've, I've already done things that I never dreamed that we, I'd be able to do. So um, there are 18 new members of Congress, uh, I, I believe, who are from rural districts who are Democrats. And the, the leadership on the Democratic side is extremely interested in what the heck is going on in Kansas and how did you, how did you get here, what's going on in people's hearts and minds. And... Um, so I, I feel like I've had a real impact. And along those lines, there's the so-called D-Trip frontline program, yeah. which you have opted out of. Yeah. Um, and that's partially, I think, the model that you're trying to create right yes. now, this grassroots campaign. Do you think that will work as well a second time? Do you think that that might have been novel last mm -hmm. year in the midterms, but do you think that you might be able to without, now that you are a high-priority mm -hmm. target for mm -hmm. national Republicans, do you mm -hmm. think that you can build up enough resources with a grassroots campaign again? It's going to, you know, it certainly is going to require fundraising, and I'm, I'm not unaware that we are way above the radar screen. We stayed way below it last time, and that was part of how we could be effective. This time we don't have that luxury of doing that. Um, what I said with Frontline, just take me off of your list. And the reason, what I learned in my in the first campaign that I ran is you lose control of your message and you lose too much control of what you want to do. And I am still very unwilling to do that. When I asked to be taken off, it took me several weeks for them to understand, A, that I meant it, B, that it really wasn't up for discussion or <laughs> negotiation, and then to get them to understand that I do understand my district. I understand the headwind that I'm going into, and I think that's what they found disturbing. Clearly, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand that I was heading into a headwind, and I'm going, no, 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 no. I got it. <laughs> uh, I lived that headwind on a presidential year um, two years ago, 
for the 2006 election. And it will be a very, very difficult race um, this time. But people in Kansas are still expecting me to be who I am, not who Washington is. And um, so, you know, in the in the, the first quarter, I said, I'm not doing the fundraising thing in Washington. Uh, I didn't make any fundraising pack calls. And still an enormous amount of money came in anyway. And we had to sit down and make a decision. We actually sent some of it back, and then it kept on coming. And, um, you know, I said, well, my, my decision on that has been to, to do what my mother taught me to do, and that's just say thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we just said thank you. Uh, I didn't ask for the money. Uh, I appreciate the, that it's coming in. Um, but I'm going to be doing my the, the vast majority of my fundraising, not all of it. I can't put myself in a total disadvantage and yeah. let them walk over me. Um, but the, the my priority will be fundraising in Kansas, or it should be. Mm. I it, think there's going to be something cool happen. Um, one of my goals is cleaning up Congress. I've got three goals. Cleaning up Congress, keeping wealth in Kansas instead of sending it to New Jersey and out, you know, out uh, over overseas. And the third is to be to do the best customer service that we can. Mm. Um, The number one is to start cleaning up Congress. And we've already done things that really are important. That pension bill that I was able to sponsor was a big deal. And if you, you know, if you're convicted of of bribery and corruption in Congress, you don't get your, you don't get your, your, um, your pension. And that's the way it should be. Uh, we, we did some ethics legislation. My concern, and I've been pretty upfront about it, was that it's really around the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, and going into real campaign finance reform, I'm not quite sure. The freshman, and certainly me being very, very, very vocal about this, has basically gone to leadership and said, if we don't, you know, if we're just working around the edges, how do we say that we're really yeah. different? So We've been on that bandwagon, and I've been very, very, very much on that bandwagon. And I think within uh, a few weeks and maybe a month, we're going to start doing some some campaign finance that reform that actually is might start doing more about bundling money, about Washington fundraising. Um, and so I'm really, really excited about that. It will not be difficult. It will be difficult to do with people who've been in Congress for years on the Republican and the Democrat side. Um, but that's why we've got 42 new Republic or Democratic re- freshmen. And, um, you know, we got a voice, and we use it. <laughs> Is so, leadership listening? Yes. Have they been responsive? Yes. Yeah. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not making any promises. Yeah. Um, and what we're asking to do is not, you know, is, there's going to be a, a lot of resistance. Um, but I think... I'm more hopeful um, today than I was even a, a few weeks ago that we might get there. No promises. Yeah. Do you think that a larger Democratic majority in the House might help with ethics reform? If you had more freshmen such as yourself? Sure, sure. I think what people need to understand um, is that there are options. You can, that there, you know, I don't want to sound naive, and I've told leadership, I'll make you a deal. You know, this is the D-trip, people. I'll say, I'll make you a deal. I'm not going to spend my whole day trying to get you to run campaigns my way, okay? (laughs) Just don't tell me how to run mine. (laughs) Um, And that's really as good as you can ask for. Um, Although, as I say now, I think we are going to move forward with more meaningful um, fundraising reform. Uh, But one of the things that I'm hoping is that we do run um, the campaign that I'm still proud of and that people in Washington say, she did it, and she got reelected. 
you know, the, you, people tell me you, you haven't been elected until you've been reelected. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult. I don't want to stand up and say, I've got, the, you know, the answer to world peace. I haven't been reelected yet. <laughs> uh, so we got, you know, we need to show people that things can be different. Uh, and that's what I'm going to try to do. First things first. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned campaign finance reform, which is a good segue into the fact that it will be if if people haven't heard, if they've been under a rock, it will be a presidential year next year. Um, <laughs> and battle lines are already being drawn within the Democratic Party. Do you have a favored candidate right now for the Democratic nominee for president? No. No. <laughs> Don't even want to go there. It's so early. And, um, well, I guess the uh, the Florida primary got moved up today. Did you hear this? Yeah, yeah. So, Which is not making a lot of people very happy. Yeah, in that. And, and what that's going to do then is basically take retail politics completely out of the picture. Mm-hmm. And, and any chance of having people um, make a decision on the real interaction with, with a real-life human being who's running for president then it will become completely about money. Um, so the you know having Iowa, New Hampshire have so much weight has its own problems. But but saying we're going to throw out retail politics and really send it down now to to be about money, mm-hmm. um, it's going to change everything. Do you think that getting rid of the electoral college might help solve that, so that you're not focused on these few battleground electoral mm-hmm. vote heavy states? Mm-hmm. Do you think if it was just, you know, a winner-take-all general election that that might help to change the way that the primary systems are structured and the fact that when you get into the general election, you have these candidates who just spend gobs and gobs of time mm-hmm. and money in these very few limited media mm-hmm. markets because they're, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, swing states? Mm-hmm. Do you think that might have any impact <laughs> at all? You know, the whole thing with the Electoral College, I my guess is more complex than I really understand. Mm. Um, when I look at it, and I really haven't studied it, um, I'd like to. I, I think. I think I'd like to see the electoral college go away. Um, you know, I'd like my vote in Kansas to count for president. Yeah. I've had people react to that so negatively on some people, and I'm going, I don't. Know, I really don't understand what their issues are. Yeah. Um, but I know that there are two sides to that story. From what it looks like to me, uh, we'd we'd be closer to a democracy if we were to not have that. But you know, I don't want to go on record as. Right, railing right. against the Electoral College until I've absolutely studied it. Yeah, it's just been something I've always been curious about. But, I think uh, having informed decisions is, like, really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Going out on a limb there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking Call of me the crazy. Co- how dare you? Call me crazy. <laughs> um, but you've already mentioned uh, ethics reform. And I'm just wondering what the sort of the biggest culture shock was for you once you got to Washington, D.C. Is Washington, D.C. just as big a cesspool of lobbyists and high-priced escort services that <laughs> we've been led to believe? Well, I haven't, I haven't had any dealings with the high-priced escort services. Um, so Here, the I'll massages be, are great. Yeah, is that right? You got no. some uh, tension built up in the yeah, shoulders? Nothing think, sexual. Yeah. Nothing sexual. I think, yeah. Um, what if I just said no? Really? It hasn't been that way. Really? Um, that would give I a lot of people hope, I think, yeah. if you said no. Um. On a given day, the when I said earlier about Democrats getting ahead of their message, I would really appreciate that. When we did this Iraq supplemental, uh, it was just fascinating. And I'm sitting there going, this is so cool. I get to watch this whole thing happen. Mm-hmm. And when we started the supplemental discussions within the Democratic caucus, there were as many people who said, I wouldn't vote for that bill because it has a timeline, as said, I wouldn't vote for that bill because it doesn't get us out yesterday. 
And I thought, how fascinating. How, how on earth is this ever going to, to come to something? And for three weeks, there were impassioned, impassioned speeches with tears at times, with people who felt so sincerely about what, what they believed that we ought to do. Um, and then we all, what, we, what, what finally everybody agreed was that it was unacceptable to hand an open-ended blank check to President Bush without any accountability for the Iraqis or anybody else, that too many mistakes had been made for us to sit there and say, we, we, we no longer can afford to continue uh, in the direction that we're going. And that's really what everybody agreed to, that Congress has a role. In the best of all possible worlds, the commander-in-chief would be doing what's best with the military and taking this in a direction that really makes my family and your family safer. But I felt strongly that at this point, Congress has a role and they've got to step up and do something and, and, and participate in it. So we ended up with this bill that I think people would feel happy that, that democracy was actually working. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we put the bill together and, and the speaker, Pelosi, really felt like it was a good thing. It was it was basically everything that George Bush had wanted with money, uh, with his um, with his benchmarks, the readiness, the whole thing. And then we said, yeah, we're gonna with a with a with a supplemental that came out of the conference committee with the Senate. It wasn't even a deadline; it was a guideline yeah. for for troop withdrawal um, and and a, and a goal of having our troops out. And by the way, that was the last thing on the sixth thing. The sixth thing is we never the bill has never called, and I wish I'd done this earlier in this. The bill had never called for a complete withdrawal of troops. Yeah. And some people are going to be happy, and some people are going to be furious. It was a withdrawal of combat troops, but it still left troops in there for training, for security, and for other missions. So this whole thing was portrayed so differently um, than it actually was. The the vast the the majority of the Democrats that I have gotten to know, to me, really seem to be there for the reasons that they went there in the first place. They seem pretty normal. Uh, On a given day, some of our spokespeople don't look real great on TV. (laughs) You know, they don't, they don't have the best, um, they don't have the best hair and they don't have the best TV presence. But I can tell you that they are genuinely, Ike Skelton, just an amazing man. He's chair of the Armed Services Committee. He loves this military, um, and he's a great spokesman. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have a great haircut. Um, <laughs> when you look at David Obi, uh, you know, he's he's done some things with the budget. I can't describe to you the train wreck that they left, knowing full well that anything that we did to try to clean it up, they were going to criticize us for, and they have. Um, but what he did to try to clean it up and to get it put together. I thought it was just amazing, and, and you could tell he really did it because he thought that's what's best for our country and the best use of our resources. Um, and he gets on TV, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't put a lot of makeup well, on and look real smooth. Well, and, we can't all be Mitt and Romney. Suave. We can't yeah. all be Mitt Romney. But really. the fact is the, that um, ask me about this in a year. But my sense today is that most of the people on my side of the aisle. And many on the Dem- on the Republican side of the aisle that I've gotten to know, um, but I don't mind saying I'm partial to the people. The the people on my side of the aisle are um, many of them have that same intensity. Uh, they put their pants on one leg at a time. 
and they're still there for the reasons that they went originally. And that has been a surprise to me. I wasn't expecting to really like politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're people that I've grown to really like and to deeply respect. I wish they would understand that doing the right thing is important, but if you can't get a message out ahead of time, and when you're always on the defense, um, it's it's difficult to, to actually get the right thing to happen and to get to, to accomplish what you want in Congress. So when we um, when we did the the first supplemental, uh, our our office put out a press release every day mm-hmm. about why I thought it was a thing that why why I was voting for it. Um, and then we had a press conference that said, I, you know, this isn't perfect, but I'm going to vote for it, and here's why. And, um, and again, did what I could to be in, in front of our message instead of having them define why what I had done. So they're good people. Nancy Pelosi, uh, they're doing everything they can to demonize her and to make her into some West Coast liberal um, when, in fact, I don't mind saying, you know, and I, this is the beauty of having this much time. She's had five children in six years. Yeah. Okay, this is a woman who, she's so joked, she'll say sometime, you know, don't make me use my mother of five voice. <laughs> and Does she have 500 grandchildren? No, that was the appearance seven. when she was up on the, the podium when she got the gavel. Seven, seven children, oh. seven grandchildren oh, right. are hers. But she's, uh, she's passionate about taking care of veterans. Um, you know, she's not necessarily passionate about what she, how she comes across or what she looks like on TV. She wants a message, um, and I, I am, I am impressed with her. And it just irritates the living daylights out of me how they're trying to demonize her. This is a woman. She has the 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 the, um, the freshman Democrats for coffee and muffins every Wednesday morning, <laughs> and listens big time. Um, it's amazing, but she just is uh she she is extremely demanding that we be respectful to the president at all times because that's who we are and that's the right thing to do she that'll kill in you behind, that'll kill you if in, you have human decency in this she, and I, you know what what i found surprising the first time again behind uh in 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 smaller meetings um the woman quotes scripture and talks about her faith came in with it with her missile she's catholic one morning and it's just as matter of fact as the day is long she does not put jesus christ on her sleeve and go out with some sense of self-righteousness or righteousness Mm -hmm. she just knows where her where she's going um and it's about taking care of people starting first of all with veterans and then clearly with kids and s chip is a really big thing for her uh and about working families so you know she's not perfect. By the way, neither am I, um, and I, I I am surprised. Um, I'm surprised with the value system that I see that she operates from. Uh, certainly, everything is being done to demonize her, and that's that's just unfortunate. Yeah, it's uh, probably always been the Democrats' problems that they put convictions ahead of politics too many times. Well, Thank you. Um, you know, we had a vote. This was just bizarre, but we had a vote on Head Start last week. And there was um, there was an amendment that was added. This is so bizarre. An amendment that was added by three Democrats. Um, and I would love to have been on it myself. Uh, I just didn't wasn't in that loop. But it basically 
said, we've got Head Start programs that are done by faith-based organizations all over this country. And it not only reaffirmed, it made it law and said that faith-based organizations can continue. And quite honestly, we not only we not only allow it, but we, I don't remember the words, it's honor or something like that, that faith-based organizations run Head Start. And do you know what the vote was? Mm. It was right down party lines. The Democrats <laughs> said yes, and the Republicans did not vote for it. Just nuts. And you know who was the person who was out saying don't vote for it and got all, all the Republicans not to vote for it? It was James Dobson. <laughs> With the focus on the family, said don't do it. And I went back and said, why, what was wrong with that bill? But they just wouldn't vote for something that the Democrats were doing. Mm. Then followed up, and they had a procedural vote. It was only a procedural vote that quite honestly would have killed the whole Head Start funding. But it, and it basically said that you allow these faith-based organizations to discriminate based on religious preference. Ah, of course. And, of course, that's where I draw the line and say, you're in the federal till. Pardon me if democracy, you know, wipes off on you, rubs off on you. But, no, (laughs) we are not going to say that if, you know, if a Jewish person presents and says, I want to work for you and head start with federal dollars, that they can say, no, I'm so sorry, you're not allowed to work here or any other faith. Um, And that was, you know, that was just such a, such a... um, it was just an interesting vote. Yeah. It's along the same lines that President Bush is about to veto legislation that would criminalize gay bashing and discrimination against homosexuals. Yeah, along yeah. those lines. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I vote for hope. I don't vote for hate. <laughs> All right, let's get to sort of the lightning round here. Uh, sort of brief answers right. on some specifics. Brief. Brief. Well, I, so you know what? I'm so used to doing two and three sentence answers. That it's just nice not to have to do that. I'm I, sorry if I'm rambling. No, no. I, I love it. I love all it. Right. But let's uh, sort of get to the meat of the matter. All right. All right. All right. Uh, should no child left behind be completely overhauled? It should be fixed and funded. Here's my, my okay. Now we're doing a three. It should be fixed and funded or let states opt out of it. I don't want our state to have to opt out of it. Um, but if it's not, if it isn't really fixed, and some, and some good funding put behind it, it's going to absolutely kill our schools. So we're going to go to growth models, and those growth models have to be uh, reflective of what's actually happening in schools. If some kid comes in, at, a fifth grader comes in reading at a first grade level, and you get them to a third grade level, this is a good thing. You don't punish somebody for that. So growth models, don't be punitive. If there is anything that we could do at the federal level, um, that will encourage smaller class sizes. It's going to be the biggest thing. Look at look at look at schools and how successful they are. Smaller classes, more success. Period. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Although I have a quick follow up on No right. Child Left Behind. There is a provision in No Child Left Behind which requires schools to mm-hmm. provide registries mm-hmm. to military recruiters. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that should be an opt in system rather mm-hmm. than an opt out system? Yes. Okay. Do you favor some sort of guest worker program that allows a path to citizenship as is sort of the legislation that's being criticized and being debated so much right now? Would you favor something along those lines? No. No. Um, I think uh, it is a big deal in my district, and I took a position that basically said I didn't want to do that in the first campaign. It became a huge issue in the second campaign. This first campaign, I said we need to enforce our laws and protect our borders. The second campaign... 
uh, Jim Ryan said that his number one issue was illegal immigration and his number two issue was illegal immigration. And the rhetoric got ramped up pretty awful. So the second time I ran, I said, we need to enforce our laws, protect our borders. And by the way, please don't send me hateful emails and please don't send, (laughs) you know, speak to me hatefully about any group of people. And unfortunately, I had to add that third part pretty uh, consistently because there was a the rhetoric got ramped up um, to where I was uncomfortable with it. The problem with the guest worker program is without people, and I, I don't, and many people in the district don't trust that the enforcement's going to come. So you put together a guest worker program and you've done two things. You've basically created another class of people who are here um, still working in the shadows for without a lot of rights. If you don't put the enforcement with it, then you still have an out-of-control system. Show people that you're going to enforce. If not, it looks like 19, it feels, looks, smells like 1986 again. When when we did the whole amnesty thing, and I know this is an amnesty, mm-hmm. but we did the whole amnesty thing and said, trust me, we'll do the enforcement later. The guest worker looks and smells just like that. And I don't think it's good for working people who are here. I don't think it's good for anybody. So you favor more enforcing the laws that are on the books right now? Yes. Put together a system, at least start with a system where employers can verify who's here. without killing the employers, by the way. And that's tricky. So it's so tricky that, in fact, that's why people don't believe that they really intend to do it. Do you favor some form of universal health care? I've really said we have to do something about health care. I have have said that we need to look at it. Universal health care is something we should look at. The Massachusetts plan, there are all kinds of different plans around. The fact is whatever I say is going to be attacked. And no matter if I if I had the answer to world peace, it would be attacked. <laughs> so uh, I I just really advocate strongly um, that we need to find a way to use those healthcare dollars more efficiently. We don't need to spend another dime on healthcare. We've already we're already spending the money. We've already got the infrastructure. We can put those pieces together. Um, what I would love to see happen are the main stakeholders in this come together outside of politics and say, you know, the providers. Um, right now, the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical industry really are dictating where our policy goes. We need to have a balanced conversation with providers, the hospitals, the doctors, and the Chamber of Commerce, the people who are paying for this, and you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we can put together a system that works better. Right. A little bit of uh, a Kansas pride question here. Yes. Dennis Moore has said that he will not appear on the Colbert Report. If you are asked... I was asked. Will you appear on the Colbert Report? No. No. Don't need it. Just don't <laughs> need that kind of grief. Just don't... Actually, I was... But wasn't. you got to have Colbert up there saying that Kansas doesn't have the balls to appear on a show. Well, gee whiz. <laughs> this does not... You know, not, not on my list of things to worry about. Um, actually, I was on Colbert. That's right. He went to the freshman uh, orientation, the mixer, right? Yep, yes. yep, 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 yep. It's just there's, um, you know, there's just no, there's no real upside to it. It would be fun. It would, it would be, be fun. fun. But um, it's all in good jest. Yeah, right. <laughs> there would be a boon for Kansas's image, I think, if yeah. you were to go on well, the Colbert Report. I think that you would do so much to improve the image of Kansas if you well, were to go let, on that let, show. Let me take that under advisement. Debate Gavin. that. I, I, you, there should be some internal debate within the campaign. All I right. think it would be a very good step right. for your reelection. Finally, now, yes. What do you consider to be your proudest achievement in Congress thus far? Um, actually, we've gotten some things done thus far, mm. okay? So it's early in the game here. Um, 
I'm, I'm actually working on something extremely, I don't know whether we're going to get it done or not, but about community pharmacists. It's a, just a, it's a topic that we're going to lose community pharmacists on July 1. Some things are changing that I think are intentionally um, pushing them out. And that just, I, I think that what, what literally what I can do, and we're working hard, and we may not get it done. So that's one of the things that I'm working on and proud to be doing it and pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, this whole trucks from Mexico thing is a big deal. You know, the whole NAFTA highway that they said was a, a myth. Well, on Thursday, I think it was Thursday, um, we had put, we, my office put together a bill that said, you know, this whole pilot program of being, bringing trucks in from Mexico that don't meet the same standards that we have to is crazy in so many different ways. It just doesn't make any sense at all and don't have enough time to go into it. So we put, our office put together a bill, and I got put in my place, <laughs> <laughs> which is okay if you don't ask. Um, but it basically went too far. And they said, you're, you're renegotiating NAFTA. So sorry, as a freshman, you're not going to be able to do that. <laughs> um, but Aim high. Yeah. Aim high. yeah. But then the, uh, the, the committee people, um, the, the staffers on the committee, and then the chairman, Oberstar, and DeFazio, who's the, who's the subcommittee chair, um, basically came and said, we, we understand what you're trying to do, and we'll help you. So we put together a bill that will go through and is going to, I think, actually pass into law. We're working with the Senate side. And I think we're going to pass uh, something into law that says it will have a it will have a huge impact on our trucking industry. Um, actually, what it, if this had happened, it would have had a very huge and negative impact on our trucking industry and on our on the roads on our safety of our roads. So just bringing that to a halt is a really really big deal. The same day that that passed, I think um, all the days start to run together a little bit. But they um, the on the same day in Texas. The Texas legislature voted 139 to 1, I think, um, to to stop the Trans-Texas Corridor, which was supposed to be that mythical mm-hmm. um, NAFTA superhighway. So what we were doing really made a difference, and I'm, 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 I'm glad to be in Congress. Yeah. Although a quick follow-up, what are you most looking forward to now, legislatively speaking? What do you want to tackle immediately? Well, we've got the farm bill. Uh, and that's going to be a, a really, really, really big deal. We've got the farm bill. Um, the Iraq really still is, is going to be uh, a big deal. The whole appropriations process is just, uh, it, it's, it's an amazing, it's a, it's a massive amount of work. Uh, we're doing something, we're really working hard down in southeast Kansas, long story, but the Lawrence Journal world has been following some of the really devastating things that have gone on down in southeast Kansas. Uh, a group of people there who have been, virtually isolated uh, and getting no support from anyone in Kansas. So across the state line, you have a Superfund site. Mm. And and across the state line into Kansas, the community and the whole Superfund site continues and not a darn thing is being done about it. And it's just devastating, this community. So we're, you know, we're, we're, we're actually, I think, getting things done truly done. Now, I don't want to get hopes up, and I don't want to make any promises, but we have rolled up our shirt sleeves and just worked and worked and worked, and it's been it's been really enjoyable to see that this is kind of the way democracy was <laughs> intended to work. We do something called Congress on Your Corner. We just take our whole our constituent service office out into the 
out into the communities, rural communities in, in Topeka, and we set up a constituent service office. And you hear everything, and you get to help people that wouldn't ordinarily come into, you know, um, a, con- a congressional office. So it's cool. Okay. All right. Congresswoman Nancy Boyda, freshman, hopefully to be a sophomore congresswoman. Well, I'm hoping. Representing Kansas's second district, including Lawrence. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us here at Lawrence.com. Thank you, Gavin. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Congresswoman Boyda for joining us here at Punditocracy, Lawrence.com's politics and culture podcast. A quick editorial note, however. Due to unforeseen technical complications, the first few minutes of our interview with the Congresswoman had to be trimmed from the final podcast. Whether it be from sunspots, gremlins, or feedback from my pacemaker, we're not quite sure what the problem was. But we promise it wasn't NSA interference and urge listeners to read the transcript of the interview on Lawrence.com. The bulk of the missing audio dealt with Iraq, and if the congresswoman will forgive my ham-fisted attempts to summarize, she would support a bill that provides accountability, enforces benchmarks set by the Bush administration itself, and would begin to, as she puts it, responsibly redeploy the troops. She believes that the Iraq war has made us less safe by stretching our military resources to the point that they can't respond to other disasters, be they international or domestic. Like, I don't know, tornadoes? Timely indeed. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here at Punditocracy. I have been Gavin. Feel free to email us at poundingthepundit at yahoo.com. Leave comments at lawrence.com. Be our buds at www.myspace.com backslash punditocracy. Thanks again. Bye-bye.